All right, we're continuing our Exodus series, and uh, we're working through Exodus, and really on this idea of how Exodus is mirrored throughout Scripture. And I think Jesus echoes Exodus so much in what he's doing, and then again, Exodus kind of brings its head back in our own lives. And this is a story not just of one isolated instance thousands and thousands of years ago, but it's a story that's repeated and repeated and repeated. And so today's main point, main concept is God is a God who rescues. God is a God who rescues. And if you want to follow along in the scripture today, Exodus 13 and 14 is going to be where we're at. In one of the most famous scenes in the scripture, one of the most beautiful, all-inspiring scenes in scripture, which we, as we think about the movies, this is one of the, the iconic moments that we think about uh, that has transposed. It's the parting of the Red Sea, all right? We all have, we all were disappointed when we went to, you saw the, uh, how they actually did the Red Sea out in California where it's like a wading pool of two feet deep and they they parted uh, two feet. Great job, movie guys. But this, what this would have been like to put it into concept about same kind of land mass and uh, and water uh, stuff is if you were walking, stuff is a technical theological term. Uh, if you're walking between Chicago and, uh, what is it, St. Joe that's on the other side? St. Joseph? Benton Harbor? I'm right? Am I right? Uh, anyway, it's like, so we're escaping Rahm Emanuel. No political statement is being made right then. We're escaping Rahm. Rahm is attacking us. He's, he's put us into slavery. I'm really not making a political statement. It just is what it is. Um, I really, I really didn't think that one through all the way. Uh, so we're escaping Chicago and whatever elected official is there. Um, and, and we're going through basically the same type. We're running away from the political entity of that area, the empire there, and going through Lake Michigan. Because that's basically about the same width. Now, the Red Sea is a lot shallower, but you're moving water, you're moving water, okay? Um, So that's kind of the running away thing, this big, massive body of water that you're like, I got, that's what we're going through? So as we think about that, we have the gift of Lake Michigan being there. Next time you go go to the city, look out on the water and go, this is what these people were like, we're going to walk through what? So that's, that, that is this moment. That is what's going on there. And so just kind of set the stage for you. That's what's happening. And so this, this theme of God is a God who rescues really goes through uh, the whole of Scripture, but specifically with Moses and the Israelite people then, and then again with Jesus and how this, this works. And I would argue that we are in need of a rescue today. And maybe it's not in a political way that we're in a political slavery. But we are, I think, in some sort of bondage. Lots of us have our own little stories of bondages in our own lives. That we are in need to be set free in all kinds of different ways in our life. Maybe it's a depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a, it's a job situation. Maybe it's a, a family situation. I don't know. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe all these different things bond uh, bond us down and keep us from living the life that God has for us. And when we think about it, we know we're in need of a rescue. The scripture is full of examples 
of this rescue. But I think when we're going to examine today, it plays out differently than we're expecting. When I think of rescue, I think of the knight in shining armor coming in, saving the girl, and running out. The girl does nothing in this, right? She screams. <laughs> I think of kind of being passive in the rescue. And for guys, that might not, you're like, I don't want God to rescue me. I want to do my own, do my own thing. I'm a man. Ugh. All right, good luck swimming in Lake Michigan. Good, good luck with that. But we have this idea in our head of, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I'm not passive. I'm not just here. But there's also the idea of, well, God's going to rescue me or he's not going to rescue me. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to wallow in my bondage. I'm going to wallow in my tower and whine about it. If you have kids, the uh, kind of the scene of uh, the girl, what is it, tangled? Rapunzel being in the, in the tower and just like, well, I'm just going to draw on the walls a little bit more. I'm going to whine about this a little bit more. I think, I think that catches us sometimes in our, in our, our bondage is we just go, okay, well, this is life, and this is the way it's going to be, and this is where I'm going to be at. But there's more for us than that. And what I want to talk about today is how we can live differently in that. And how this biblical rescue actually works. Because in a biblical rescue, the person being rescued is always active. Always active. Now think about the ramifications of that. We have God who has complete power. Omnipresent, omniscient, omni-everything, omni-omni, which means he can do anything he wants. He's got all power. And yet, every time someone is rescued, God asks them to do something about it. Every time. In the Red Sea, they have, here's a a stage for you. You have the biggest, baddest army on the planet coming at you with chariots. Now, to put that in perspective, this is like M1 Abrams tanks coming at you and all you have is a paintball gun. This is the technological problem going on here. Chariots were nothing to mess around with. And so you have this coming at you behind, and you're seeing the dust cloud. They must have been able to see the cloud because we're out in the middle of the desert. Oh, buddy. Here they come. And these are mad people. Think about it. All of their firstborn sons had just been killed. You want to amp me up for a fight? Dads, we won't do some work now. <laughs> so first, they're, they're mad. They're charging. They are coming. And the Israelites are like, we got, uh, we got Lake Michigan right here. <laughs> we got a problem. And God does this thing with, through Moses of separating the water. He says, all right, here you go. What do you, actually, in the scripture, he says, what are you standing around for? Go. <laughs> like, let's go, boys. Come on. And so they start running probably quite quickly at a rapid pace, all of them going through these walls of water and, going and running and running and running and running. And through that, it took the action of them stepping into the... They still would... I imagine there was somebody like, 
that's water. I don't know what to do right now, right? You, you have this idea in your head, like, I don't, can't swim. There's not a life preserver. I don't know what the temperature of that water is. Like, you have all these excuses popping up in your head. Wait, wait, wait. The, the opportunity is you die or you might live. You die, there's a way out. You die. I'm, I'm, can we talk? To well, the opportunity probably passed when all, this firstborn son, all their firstborn sons died. You, you see, the, this, there is no other excuse. There is no other issue. There, you have to go through this scary thing. And I think for us, sometimes it takes the action. We, they had to step out. They had to do something. All they had to do actually was walk to be safe. God did this huge, amazing miracle of moving water in the Red Sea. And all the people had to do was walk across. But it's a huge ordeal. We see this, this same kind of story told over and over and over again in the Scripture. I believe we are a people in need of rescue. What do I mean by that? I, the Israelites were in need of rescue. They were in bondage. They were in slavery for about 500 years. When Jesus came, the Jews were in need of a rescue. They were losing their identity, who they were, who they were as God's chosen people. And I would argue that today we are a people in need of a rescue, that sometimes in life we are in a place where we're losing our own identity. We're losing who we are. We lose how, who God has formed us and made us to be. That might be through outside factors. That might be through job situations. That might be through family situations. But we start to forget who we are, forget who we can be. We are a people in need of rescue, and only God is the one who can provide it. This was interesting to me as I started planning this message and thinking about it, is that I was a lifeguard. Actually, I went to lifeguard school. I never was a lifeguard. I was talking about that this week. This is probably why Kelly and I are actually together. Because she was a lifeguard at the same time with my best friends. If I would have gotten the job with my best friends, there's no way she would have dated me. All right? As a 17-year-old boy, um. But I went to lifeguard school, and basically you sit around all day, and then you go swimming for a little bit, but you learn some unique things. And one of the most unique things that I learned about lifeguarding school was that the way lifeguards die is because the rescuer drowns them, or the rescuee drowns them. The drowning person is so frantic that when the lifeguard comes out to them, they like, punch them in the face, they elbow them, they dunk them, they do whatever. So that's how lifeguards actually get killed. And so the proper way of doing this is you basically put whoever you're rescuing into a full Nelson, and then you kick away from them like this. And so they can't, they're incapacitated at the moment because they will climb on top of your head. All, you, all they want to do is know is they want to get out of the water, right? I feel like sometimes we're, we do the same thing and how we act with God is... We try to take control of the situation when we're the ones needing to be rescued. Because what that is, is God comes up to us to, to rescue us, and we're like punching him in the face. And, I'm just so desperate not to be drowning anymore. I'm going to flail around. 
And the proper way of doing that as a lifeguard is you just kick away from them. Like, nope, you just chill out for a second. I'll wait till you're bobbing, and then we'll, we'll pick you up. That's one of the, those big blue, those big old things that you have. That's one of the ways that you, it's a pad and how you can uh, apprehend the person. I think sometimes we do the same thing as we try to become the rescuer when we're the ones in need of a rescue. That we argue with God, God, that's not how you needed to rescue me this day. That's not how you needed to orient these things. That's, that's not how I needed to be rescued today. I, I would rather it be done this way, please, God. That was a little painful when you put me in the full Nelson. Anybody feel like they've been put in a full Nelson by God before? I have. It was not a pleasant experience, but that was part of the rescue. Do not confuse being rescued with being a rescuer. I think that sometimes that, that is our, our problem when we're dealing with God and we're dealing with stuff. Drowning people can't save other drowning people. It's God's job. Rescue requires trust. Rescues require trust. Exodus 14, 29 to 31 says... But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The day that, that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' his servant. Think about it. As we set the stage for you, have these huge bodies of water on each side of you. And you have to trust that those things, something that has never been done before and never will be done again, I have to trust that that's going to work. This is like the equivalent of going to space when no one's ever gone to space before. Like, really? Is this going to work? Am I going to be able to breathe? Am I not going to be able to breathe? How does that work? And to step into that moment, Jesus does something similar in John chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with his saliva and put it into the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now this is very interesting. This seems like a high school prank. <laughs> go, go, go wash that somewhere. This isn't a close pool. It's not like five feet away. It's across town. It's down a hill. You just told a blind man with mud in his eyes to walk down a hill. Come on, Jesus. This is mean. But the amount of trust like, that this guy has to do, because he's got to be thinking, what? He put, I heard something. <laughs> what is wet in my face? Like some of you, that's giving the willies right now too. Like, ooh. He has to trust that, God, that Jesus has his best interests at heart, that he is going to take care of something. He has to trust that God is rescuing him at this moment. He has to trust fully in that, that I'm going to go make a spectacle of myself. I'm going to go make a fool of myself, walking through town with mud in my eyes at the chance that I can see. I think sometimes when God prompts our heart with a rescue attempt, <laughs> we're like, ah, I'm going to 
come to a wait for a better option, God. I don't know if I, I'll go with this one. That sounds a little risky. Eh, nah, I'll pass. If we're honest with ourselves, we've been praying and praying and praying for, God, I want you to take care of this. God, can you take care? Speaking of the situation, God, take this. Oh, that's not really the situation. It doesn't really work with my calendar. Rescues require trust. Right? We've seen this in movies when hostages are being saved. And they're like, ah, I've been through a lot recently. I don't know if I want to go with you. Right? It's the same idea of, ah. We have to trust that God is big enough. If he's the same God that moved and parted the Red Sea, if he's the same God that can restore eyesight to a blind man, that he can take care of our stuff as well. This is a hard thing to think about, but participating in a rescue means you have to give up control. Participating in a rescue means you have to give up control. This one is kind of almost a pet peeve of mine, but rescue requires readiness. Rescue requires readiness. I have a pet peeve with my kids. They don't um, do much that bugs me, but this one, I don't know what it is. It's like a switch in my head that's... It just, get your shoes on. Get your shoes on. Yeah, all all you parents, all the moms are like evil laughing at me right now. (laughs) That's not going to happen, right? It's like, I'm a big believer in flip-flops for my children because they can be put on in like Crocs. I like Crocs as well, right? But my, Bowen, I'm throwing him under the bus here. Bowen is the worst at this. It's like he comes in a house, takes a shoe, throws one as far as he can the other way, and then hides the other one. It's like, Kendall, go hide this from me. It's fun. <laughs> and so the other day, we were running a little late to go to uh, uh, preschool. I was like, Bowen, get your shoes on. Didn't have them on. Bowen, get your shoes on. Okay, well, now we're five minutes has passed. We're going to be late. Bowen, get your shoes on, or you're going to get a spanking. <laughs> okay, he's running around. Well... I didn't really necessarily look at his feet. He's got one dress shoe on <laughs> and one croc on. Now, I don't know if that's just he just doesn't care or, or uh, his fear of me was higher than uh, the, his uh, fear of social outcast. I know that he rocked his one shoe and one shoe with confidence And if he continues to do that the rest of his life, he will go places. But I sent my son to school. It might have been on a picture day. I'm really not even making that up. With one shoe and one shoe. And um, yeah, that didn't work out well for me uh, and Kelly. But that's okay. It's because not being ready drives me insane. I gave you 30-minute, 5-minute, 3-minute warnings. Be ready. Put your shoes on. I don't understand how they... How they go? I'm gonna put some padlocks on some tennis shoes on Kendall, right? Just they can't come off. Sorry, that needs some therapy or something. Be ready. Some of us, when we 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 uh, we enter into 
rescue mode with God. God, I need a rescue. God, God, this is just too much. This is so hard for me. This, all this stuff. I've been there. I need this job. I, I don't know what to do with my family. The bills are piling up. Ah, God, I'm just being crushed by all this stuff. And the rescue comes. And we're like, ah, oh, I need to, I'm not ready. I need to get some of my shoes on. And God's like, what and maybe I'm putting too much of my God. God's like, oh, well, we'll try this again later when you're ready. And he says this in the scripture. See, it's a divine thing that I get frustrated about shoes. No. Uh, Luke 12 says, be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, it can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants who, finds, who the master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Be ready. And this is part of trust. I think, oh, you're going to rescue me now? Oh, we should have known. Well, if we trusted God with this, if we'd given him control, of course we're ready. Be ready for a rescue. Expect it. Be ready. Be ready for God to work in your life. And finally, rescues require action. Every single instance in the scripture that people are asked to participate in the rescue. It might just be one person asked to participate. It might be the whole people group. In the Red Sea, the whole country is asked to participate in the rescue attempt. A couple days later, the people are out of water. The only person uh, acting in this, uh, this idea is Moses whacking something with a rock, but someone is still participating in the rescue. The kid, or the guy, has to walk across, be willing to have mud put in his eye, walk across the city. Take action in the rescue. God is doing it all. God is restoring sight. God is rescuing the people. God is the performer of the miracle, but he asks in this relationship, in this amazing way God has with us to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to do something amazing, but I want you to go with me. We're not some helpless damsel in distress somewhere. We get to participate in the story of God rescuing us. When Jesus finds a man paralyzed from birth, and he says, he could have just healed the guy. But instead, he grabs him and says, stand up and walk. Now, if I've been paralyzed my whole life, you want me to do what? I'm going to try to get up here. I'm going to fall on my face. Everyone's going to laugh at me. That's my reaction. Probably your reaction, too. Instead, he trusts and he gets to participate in it. God is knitting together his bones at that very moment. Every cell in his body, I don't know how that's working, how, that's, how that goes. If he just moves a disc in his back, I don't, I don't know how the medical part of that worked. But he stands up and walks. He gets to participate in the restoring of his body. 
spiritually for us. We get to participate in our spiritual eternal rescue. God says, you know what, what you need to do? You need to give me control. You need to ask, humble yourself and ask me to rescue you. That's all we get to do. He paid the price. He bought our, <laughs> paid for our sins. He, he bought our eternity with his blood. He does all this miraculous work. And what he asks of us is to say, why don't you just pick up your map and walk? Just stand with me. Humble yourself and say, please rescue me. That's all that is required. That's not earning our salvation. We're not jumping through hoops. We're not working through things. We just get to participate in our own rescue to say, I get to be a part of this journey. I get to be part of being set free. I get to be a part of of stepping out in that. I get to be a part of rewriting my story. That God has done all this for me and has rescued me. As we have baptism in a couple weeks, I think about this. It, it just blows my mind. Whenever God is about to do something huge in a people group in Israel, he takes them through water. He starts it with the Red Sea. The whole people are baptized in this moment. He does it again 40 years later when they enter the promised land. He takes the whole people group, what, through the Jordan River. He baptizes them again in this new commission. The old is dead, the new is gone. The old, they were sinful in the, mount, in, in the peninsula of Sinai, doing all kinds of stupid stuff. They whine too much. Oy. We're going to re- redo it again. He baptizes them again, sets them apart, and they're going to go through. When Jesus, and this is repeated all throughout the Old Testament, When Jesus is getting ready to set out on his ministry, what does he do? He goes and gets baptized. Anytime God is getting ready to do something miraculous and amazing in a people group, he sends them under the water. And this is what we get to echo here and now in our own baptism. And that's what the symbol is, to say, I am being set apart for something new. I've been rescued by God, and I'm ready to live that life now. And that's what we're going to do in just a couple weeks in baptism. Some of us are in need of rescue. We sit in this place. We come to this church and we, I need, and we don't get past that part. But how is God asking you maybe to participate, to take a step in the right direction in your own rescue? I don't know if somebody put their, their foot into that water the first time and then just went, whoop. you know, what would that would have looked like? What, what did that appear like? But we get to join in with the, the guy who gets mud in his eye to say, I'm, I'm going to trust. I'm going to give control. I, I need this rescue, but I'm not going to get healed until I start walking through the street with mud in my eye. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what action you're being called to do. Maybe some little simple step that God seems to be pressing on you. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm scared to do that. I'm, I'm not good enough for that. I don't, I don't know about that. Rescues require action. It might be a small, seemingly insignificant action, but they require it. What is one thing right now you can do to step into your rescue? 
What do you need to do to take a step in the right direction? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for being our rescuer. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for not abandoning us. Thank you for caring so much about us that you will save us. That you are the same God who saved a people from the hands of the Egyptians. You're the same God that healed a blind man. That you care deeply about our own bondage, care deeply about our own issues. That you want to rescue us where we're at today. God, as I think about the stuff I've gone through and the the places I've been and the things we've dealt with, God, I just look back and thank you for how you've saved me. Thank you for how you've rescued me. As I even think about the songs that we sang today, I think about moments of depression and seasons of lostness. that you brought me out of, that you worked out in me, that you guided my hand, and you set me free. Lord, we love you, and we praise your name. Amen.